Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a podcast where my wife and I discuss horror films like a couple of drunks at the bar. So <laughs> maybe you never learn anything, but hopefully you have a good time listening. So today we are kicking off our month-long theme of space horror. Woo! And we're going to start it off with what I consider to be the perennial space horror film, the one that... <laughs> The one that not only changed the genre, it defined the genre, and that is Alien, which came out in 1979. Uh, it was directed by Ridley Scott, who a lot of you, I'm sure you've seen his other work, you know, such as Blade Runner. Uh, he also did Hannibal, the sequel to Silence of the Lambs. Uh, and then I'm sure you all either love or hate him for Prometheus and Alien Covenant, <laughs> uh, which I personally love him for. <laughs> uh, and it was written by... Dan O'Bannon, based on a sh- based on a story by O'Bannon and Ronald Chesed, and uh, O'Bannon you also probably know from uh, Return of the Living Dead. He also wrote the film Life Force that Toby Hooper ended up directing, which is another really cool space horror film with vampires. With vampires? Yeah, it's not included <laughs> in our list this time because it, it's it's like partially a space horror film because the vampires are aliens and. <laughs> And the opening takes place in space, but then a lot of it takes place on Earth. It's a really cool movie. You're laughing, but it's actually really fun. It sounds um, amazing. It is amazing. Uh, but but I just want to quickly say, you know, O'Bannon deserves, I think, I don't want to say he doesn't get the credit because he obviously does. You know, there's a lot of us that, that know his name and love him for it. But I, I do sometimes wonder and hope that, like, a, a newer generation is carrying on the name of Dan O'Bannon <laughs> because... You know, I mean, this guy being the one behind Alien as well as The Return of the Living Dead, I mean, he completely defined the the space horror genre with Alien, and then he comes in a few years later and completely redefines the zombie genre with Return <laughs> of the Living Dead, which for those of you that don't know, that is the movie that is the reason that we all go brains. Like, that was the movie with zombies that started talking about brains. So. Is that the one that has the naked uh, graveyard dance? Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a great movie. Um, but, but anyway, so before we get into that, we do have our brief spoiler-free content. So a few films coming out this week that you'll definitely want to check out. Uh, one is called Fried Berry, which these will all be out by the time you're listening to this. This one's coming to Shudder. And Fried Berry is... Complicated to say the least, but it's essentially an extremely trippy, just weird movie <laughs> about this just kind of burnout asshole who <laughs> becomes possessed by an alien, and then the alien what? basically, and then the aliens basically like taking his body on a ride and experiencing human life, and it's just, it's, just, I'm gonna end it there. It's just really <laughs> fucking bizarre. Um, but if you're looking for something like that, you kind of like your horror a little more. A little more trippy, a little weirder. That's definitely one you'll want to check out. 
another coming this week is 15 Things You Didn't Know About Bigfoot. This will be on VOD by the time listening to this. Okay, and, I'm obsessed with the titles of the movies this week. Yeah, so this is one that I actually put up a review for earlier this week. You can check it out on KillerHorrorCreek.com. Uh, but this one's about a social media reporter, star, whatever you want to call him, uh, who works for this company that sends him out to go do clickbait material on Bigfoot, where he gets paired up with this so-called Bigfoot expert who takes him on an expedition looking for clues about Bigfoot. And along the way, they not only discover evidence of Bigfoot, but the meaning of life and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, overcoming that, that word we hate to associate with ourselves, loser, and stuff like that. So I actually really like this one. Uh, it's, it's a silly comedy. You know, don't go into it expecting The Legend of Boggy Creek. I, I describe this as being more like the Bigfoot film that none of the other Bigfoot films want to sit with at the dinner table during <laughs> Thanksgiving and it gets placed at like the kids table with Harry and the Hendersons or something like that <laughs> uh, but but it is a really fun film it's very funny and it's got a lot of heart to it you know there's a there's a lot of really great messaging in there about like you know our, our dreams and aspirations and mm-hmm. kind of how Bigfoot sort of represents all of that so it Chris is laughing at this me, is a, but this is a really deep Bigfoot movie. I look. It's hitting, I'm, I'm not knocking it. it. It's hitting. It's hitting me at a time where I'm just like, I took a lot out of this movie. So if you, if that sounds good to you, <laughs> check it out. Uh, and lastly, is a film called The Columnist, which will also be on VOD. Uh, this is a great one that I caught at a festival not too long ago. Though I am struggling to remember which one. I want to say maybe Fantasia, uh, but this one's an excellent movie. It's about a, a columnist who basically gets tired of internet trolls <laughs> uh, coming at her over her columns and she decides to track them down and begin murdering them. Fuck yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's got just a super badass character. Like, I, I love, the, I forget the actress name, but I, I love her in the role. Uh, so highly recommend that one as well. So yeah, hopefully between those three, there's something, <laughs> there's something in there for you this weekend. And so let's see, we also like to do a poll every week on the film, kind of getting your thoughts and feelings uh, through our Twitter account, at Killer Critics on Twitter. Uh, so between love it, it's fine, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think Alien Falls? Like, it's going to be anything other than love it. I mean, it's the quintessential, like, sci-fi horror film. Everybody loves this movie. So... Yeah, I'd be pretty shocked if this wasn't love it. I really yeah. would. <laughs> Sometimes the poll shocks me. I think I would have lost my mind if that one didn't win in this case. This one but... would have been weird. <laughs> uh, so so 87.5% of you said love it. Of course. 10.6% uh, said it's fine. 1.3% uh, said don't like it and I'm going to find you. No, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. Everyone's allowed their opinion. But seriously, I'm going to find you. Uh, and then never seen it, 0.6%. Of course. Uh, so... Uh, we also have a few comments to go along with this, uh, and, the, and these are all from Twitter. So, at BeerNut, and then the number one, so BeerNut1, says, I love Alien. It's a fun and suspenseful film that gives the idea of a deadly alien a real shot in the arm. It also makes the alien actually realistic and scary, different than the old rubber suit or puppet-like creature from the 50s or 60s that was fun, but felt a bit campy. <laughs> I I think Chris is about to disagree with you, so I, I don't know how to respond to this because I love rubber suit aliens. I love mm. watching like old Godzilla films and stuff like that where it's just stupid campy suits make me super happy. Having said that, I do agree with with him that 
this alien is a lot more realistic and a lot more terrifying. Although I feel like part of the reason why the alien is so terrifying is because he drools so fucking much, and that's so gross. Yes, he does. (laughs) (laughs) What's also gross is how wrong you both are here. What? (laughs) Although I I don't know that says wrong here. I think he just meant this a different way, but... But the the alien in Alien is a guy in a rubber suit. It is, so. yeah. <laughs> um, but but to but to both of your credit, it it is a much better guy in a rubber suit, mm-hmm. right? Like it's not, <laughs> it's definitely not like the monsters from the fifties and the sixties where yeah. there was no fooling anybody, you know. <laughs> um, so so no, so yeah, the the alien it's a great it's a great guy in a rubber suit costume. It's actually there's only one. So I consider Alien a near perfect movie. And there's only one shot in this entire movie that I wish would be removed. And we've gotten so many different variations of this film that I don't know why we can't just get rid of this one shot. And it's basically, a lot of you probably know the one I'm talking about, but it's a shot of the alien kind of slowly moving forward uh, in the end. And I'm I'm not going to get into spoilers here, but uh, it's that shot of it slowly moving forward. And it's just so awkward and clearly like a person in a rubber suit like it's the only moment where the alien doesn't feel real you know so <clears throat> i feel like that's the one moment that i truly love the alien <laughs> it probably is um <laughs> uh but no yeah great great effect at that definitely really love that so thank you beernut one aka seth for the comment really appreciate it next is at the underscore shape underscore the numbers 78 so the underscore shape underscore 78 uh, says an all-time classic in sci-fi horror with an incredible cast, claustrophobic setting, and H.R. Giger's jaw-dropping concept art and creature effects. Uh, I showed this to my 14-year-old daughter this past year, and the chestburster scene still holds up as a top moment in horror history. Oh my god, that chestburster scene is so fucking good. Um, Matt was making fun of me when we we did our first rewatch of it because it'd been a little bit since we had seen Alien, so I couldn't remember exactly where you know the story points were, and so I still got freaked out at the chestburster scene. Having it's seen it, yeah, right. H.R. Geiger's just design for this whole thing is so amazing and so immersive. Like I feel like that's really one of my favorite parts about Alien is how well it's designed and carried out. Um, and the claustrophobia of the ship really puts you in that situation and Mm. it's so wonderfully done yeah uh so so uh, you know the chestburster scene for me i mean i I completely agree here it is a top moment in his in horror history and it's actually the first moment that i remember ever being scared and covering my eyes during a horror film (laughs) you know like i like for those of you that don't know or haven't been listening long enough to hear me mention this like my very first horror film was Christine when I was just three years old, you know, and it, and I and that film didn't scare me. And, mm. it, you know, there were lots of others that I watched, like Killer Clowns from Outer Space, stuff like that. Uh, but Alien is the first one that I remember just not being able to handle that chestburster scene because it just scared me so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was also probably one of the bloodier moments I had seen as a kid, too. And, and yeah, no, it's just absolutely phenomenal. You know, it, it catches you by surprise. You don't expect it to happen in that moment since it's also <laughs> cheerful and everybody's having a good time, right? And fun fact about that scene, you know, I feel like part of the reason it works even better is actually kind of accidental. So for those of you who don't know, in the chestburster scene, which is now iconic, so hopefully I'm not spoiling anything for anybody here for the 0.6% who haven't seen it. <laughs> but... But, you know, when they shot that scene, 
the chestburster was initially supposed to pop through on the first like push through the chest, right? Uh-huh. And so when you're watching that moment, you know, you have Kane writhing around on the table and then the chestburster does its thing, but it doesn't actually come out. You get like the the bump in his chest and all the blood spurts, mm-hmm. but nothing happens. And the reason you see everybody pause like that is because the cast didn't know what to do initially. <laughs> and then Kane just kept going with it. So then they all kept going with it. And then eventually you got the chestburster the person- actually breaking through. So <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, it's it's why, look, you know, I, I'm not going to spend time harping on digital effects here, but... It's why I bad. It's one of the reasons I badly miss practical effects in horror movies mm-hmm. because when you are working with an effect that is on set, you know there are just all kinds of happy accidents that can happen because of that. Yeah, you know sometimes. I mean, look at Jaws for example. Sorry, we're going on a tangent <laughs> here, but you know, look at Jaws for example. The the reason that you don't see the shark in Jaws a lot mm-hmm. is because the mechanical shark didn't work very well. Otherwise, <laughs> that thing was going to be all over the place. You know, but but one of the things that people love Jaws for is mm-hmm. how it pretty much withholds the shark until yeah. the end, right? You know, so ha- had that movie been made today, you wouldn't have to worry about a problem with the mechanical shark. They nope. would just do digital, and we'd see that shark flying <laughs> all over the place, right? So so Jaws wouldn't be at all the same movie. So it just, I just really miss that. I really miss the creativity that comes with people working around issues on set you know yeah. which both chris and i are used to and mm-hmm. a lot of times the best things do come from having to think on your feet like that so <laughs> yeah i actually know something for this you know how it's a really common thing in action films where like you have like a duel like a sword duel and mm. they both go at each other and then there's a pause and then giant blood spray that the whole reason why that's iconic is because of another accident because the film that originated that trope i want to say it was like Ronin maybe or was a Japanese film it's because the effects guy put so much pressure in there but it didn't go right away and then once it did it shot off and almost lifted the actor into the air awesome and so like the whole reason why we get that trope in action is also because of kind of a mechanical failure for a moment and it's it's what I really like about film like you said just like seeing how they deal with the accidents yeah so there you go so maybe maybe you are (laughs) learning something this episode um (laughs) Uh, but anyway, so thank you, the Shape Seventy Eight, uh, for the comment. Really appreciate it. Uh, next up is at Blazing Lobster, and they say a rare gem that holds up even after forty years. The only real giveaway to its age are the uh, CRT monitors, but they help enhance the atmosphere instead of dating the picture. Ten out of ten would fly in a Stromo again. <laughs> okay, I would never fly in the Stromo. Like that shit is full of aliens. I don't want to go in that shit. Full of aliens. It has one alien. <laughs> it has one alien. Still, it's pretty big shit. Um, Only also, one alien. I don't trust that captain. He does not seem like a good captain. Fair. I am. No, I agree. I think that it does such a great job of holding up, and I think that that's attributed to what Matt and I talk about a lot: the use of practical effects and good set work, and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, the technology dates it a bit, but it's also charming. It's really, I really like the tech that's used in it, even though it does date it, because it's really cool atmosphere that like Mm. i think everything these days is so sleek and i miss like dumb giant monitors and a bajillion buttons i just think that's a cooler look well i mean it's the problem with a lot of movies right is like i i think we talked about this uh possibly when we did our bonus episode for house but you know there's just an issue it feels like lately where a lot of films want to be too realistic you know Mm -hmm. we we're so set on this idea of like it has to be it has to feel real it has to be realistic complete reality right that that we've kind of lost touch with what movies are which is 
you know, an enhanced reality. Like they're not, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're not necessarily all supposed to feel real. So, so I do really like this too. I do think it gives the film kind of a unique vibe to it. And I'm actually to answer this with another fan's comment, which is, which is from at r underscore a underscore j underscore r underscore jr. <laughs> That says, the only thing that doesn't hold up well in Alien is the set's tech, but that's arguable. As anyone that works in a blue-collar environment where the higher-ups are too cheap to upgrade their equipment can attest to. Otherwise, it's a nearly flawless film shot scoring cast beautifully. Which, I completely agree with, you know, that that is kind of one thing that I think does work really well about the tech in this movie. Mm -hmm. Is that, you know, as anyone who has worked for anything corporate can attest to... They do not give a fuck about you. No. And, and it does not matter how nice of a company, per se, you're working for. Chances are, depending on your level of employment, you're going to be dealing with some pretty shitty things, right? So, like, just a good example of this is I won't name the show, but I, I, have, I, I worked on a reality show where we had different floors and each floor had different positions on it, right? So, like, one floor was, like, the kind of grunts, you know? So, Mm. like, camera people, uh, sound people, stuff like that. Uh, Another floor was the gruntier grunts (laughs) with the production assistants. Another floor was executives and producers. And I I just want to guess which floor was the nicer one, right? (laughs) And so, you know, so, I mean, for God's sakes, you know, you would go to the executive floor and they would have, like, the nicest chocolates. And then you go to the other floors and it's, like, garbage you know like almond joys or something and i hate almond joys fuck you i love almond (laughs) joys fuck you i hate almond joys so but you get the idea you know just like like a a better example maybe is we had folgers coffee they had starbucks coffee you know what i mean (laughs) so so i mean it's aliens pretty emblematic of how that all kind of works right so so anyway thank you blazing lobster and roger jr for the comment appreciate it and lastly, there's a comment from at sinful underscore redhead, and sinful is S-I-N-N-F-U-L underscore redhead. Uh, and this is from a friend of mine, Sarah. What's up, Sarah? And she says, another movie my mom told me is a bedtime story and watch with me. Ripley's a badass. It was nice to see such a strong, intelligent female lead who methodically thought things through. When she went up against the alien, she was smart and didn't panic, and she came with a plan. <laughs> yeah, I, I do really like Ripley because she is the smartest person on the crew, and it kind of bugs me that I think she's, like, third in command, and she's the only one on this crew with crew with a goddamn brain. Well, she's second in command behind the science, or, or behind the Captain Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have Ash, who's kind of like his own little separate department. So. <laughs> Fuck Ash. <laughs> But no, I, I completely agree with Sarah. You know, Ripley is an amazing character. I'm actually going to talk a lot about her in a minute, so I'm not going to get too much into this comment. But what I will add is that, you know, I I, I don't remember if I mentioned this the last time Sarah left a comment uh, about her mom doing these stories with her when she was a kid, but uh, I just think that's a really cool idea, and I, I hope that there are more parents out there that are telling their kids bedtime stories based on movies, you know, because they're... Because all, all bedtime stories are is they're just, you know, stories passed down through generations. Yeah. And all movies are are stories passed down through generations when you when you really get down to it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so it would be really cool to think that there are more parents out there telling, you know, their children the bedtime story of Alien or something <laughs> like that. Uh, but I, I just think that's a really cool story, Sarah. So thank you for sharing that. Um, but all right. So those are our comments. So thank you, everyone, for, for leaving those for us. 
Uh, and lastly, before we get into spoilers here, one more thing. We like to do a tagline versus the film, just kind of talking about the tagline and what we think of the movie overall. So the tagline for Alien, as many of you probably know, is in space. No one can hear you scream. <laughs> so what do you think of the tagline? What do you think of Alien overall? I mean, look, it's an iconic tagline, and it's it really speaks to the heart of this film, the fact mm. that they are so isolated. So I think it's a good tagline for that reason. You know, this movie is all about how they're isolated with this danger in, like, you know, limited capacity, just all on the ship. Nobody can help them. They're so far away from everybody else. They really got to figure this shit out on their own. I think that's what's really great about this film is basically that, like, it's not one room, but, like, closed location horror film. Yeah, so, uh, you know, first off, on the tagline itself, one of the greatest taglines of all time. Yes. Like, I, I will not hear an argument on this, you know? <laughs> like, And that's not saying you're not allowed to argue with me. I'm just saying you will not convince me <laughs> that there, that it is not a top five tagline of all time. It, it is, it, it is, you know, when it comes to the horror genre, it, it is the tagline that every horror movie wishes it could have, yes. right? Like, you know, it's... It's the one that when it came out, you just knew there you are almost never going to have a tagline that tops that ever again. <laughs> you know, like you're just you're just not. It's that good. And, and like every space horror film that's ever come after it wishes it could have that. So uh, so no, I love the tagline. It's been duplicated and, and mimicked and replicated <laughs> over and over and over again. Um, but as to what you were just saying, you know, I mean, that's the. That's the cool thing about Alien, and it's actually where the the premise of Alien sort of came from, is that, you know, Dan O'Bannon, he had worked with John Carpenter on Carpenter's, in this, uh, on Carpenter's first feature, Dark Star, and, you know, Dan O'Bannon wrote this and co-starred in it, and first off, there's a scene in that film that involves, like, a really goofy, uh, kind of basketball-shaped alien on the <laughs> ship that <laughs> that helped inspire Alien, but even deeper than that... Dan O'Bannon, he was kind of frustrated that, or he was kind of frustrated with the concept of haunted house movies because, you know, he sort of had the same thought that a lot of audiences do when they watch those movies, which is, why don't the people just leave, you right? know? Like, why don't they just walk out the front door and go somewhere else, you know, or go stay at a hotel? And, and so he wanted to make a movie that was like a haunted house film, but where people could not escape, mm -hmm. you know? And so between that and working on Dark Star, that's kind of where the initial concept for Alien came from. And and it does really play like that, you know. The movie does have kind of a haunted house vibe. It's not it's not anything like the films that came after it, which are more action oriented. Uh, Alien is more is more of a quieter, slow building, atmospheric movie. I think I think a friend of mine on Twitter, Halloween Year Round, made a comment to me on our poll for this, just basically saying like, you can tell who's more into like straight horror and more who's more into you know, kind of fun action, depending on which one you prefer, Alien or Aliens. And I honestly flop back and forth between the both of them, though I do think Alien is a more perfect film. Yeah. But but I tend to agree with that because, you know, Alien is that film that is just like, it's it's the, it's the pure, simple, atmospheric horror mm -hmm. that I think anyone who's trying to tell just a good, simple, scary story strives towards. Yeah. You know, and same with Aliens. Like, if you're trying to tell a really cool you know, action horror movie, Aliens is what you strive towards. I'm just laughing because I'm absolutely that trash. I think that Alien is a fantastic, amazing movie, but I prefer Aliens too because 
Who doesn't love Ripley going, get away from her, you bitch? I don't blame you. <laughs> Aliens is iconic, too. I mean, that that's the incredible thing about Alien and Aliens is they're just, both of them are, you know, both of them are just top 10 movies, I think, in the sci-fi and horror genre. And of course, there, you know, there's room for dispute with that, but they're incredible films, yeah. you know? But anyway, so we're going to move into spoilers now. So if you have not seen Alien... Get out from under the rock you live under. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But go go check out the movie. Uh, we are about to spoil everything with Alien, and it is a film that you really don't want to have spoiled for you. So, uh, so go check it out. Otherwise, we are about to move into that. So, as usual, first thing we want to talk about is the characters and who do you want to talk about. You know, we have a great list of characters here, such as Sigourney Weaver is Ripley, of course. Uh, Tom Skerritt is Dallas. Harry Dean Stanton is Brett, Ian Holm is Ash, Yafet Kato is Parker, like just all kinds of great characters. And I want to add into that, we have a question from uh, one of our fans, big supporter of our James. What's up, James? Who you can follow on Twitter at James Shannon M-O and then the number two, so James Shannon Mo two. Uh, and he just wanted to add to this question, if you like the fact that we're dealing with kind of an older cast here as opposed to more of like the teen horror cast that we're kind of mm. used to with horror movies in our generation. Yeah. Um. So I'll answer the question first of, yes, I'm glad that we're dealing with an older cast, especially as I'm starting to get older. I'm feeling more weird about watching teens have sex and get murdered. That's starting <laughs> to feel weird for me. So well, I, you know why that is, is because, you know, they're dumb. No, because those, <laughs> those movies are made for teenagers. Yes. You know, so like that, like that that's kind of the funny thing about getting older and why I always tell people to revisit movies that you know they didn't appreciate maybe when they were younger mm -hmm. because movies that are maybe a little bit more mature than you were ready for when you were a teenager are going to play mm -hmm. a lot better when you're older yeah and vice versa you know and and yeah with a lot of those slashers you know they're geared towards teens because one of the things you're most afraid of as a teenager is sex. Like, whether maybe it's not like a, a actual fear of like I never want to do this, but a fear that's just like the the anxiety, the pressure, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So those movies play to that, you know. Yeah. So yeah, the older we get, the more we're like that's stupid. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, for me, it's really nice. Like, I like I'm starting to like the horror films now that have older casts a little bit better and preferring no. them over the teens. I mean, I love slasher, so I'm never not going to be watching teens getting like horribly murdered. Uh, More slashers with adults, though. <laughs> yes, give me some adult slashers. Let me watch some adults make stupid adult mistakes and no. then get murdered for it. <laughs> but yeah, so I do like more adult slashers, and I think it works. I thought I think it'd be really weird to see a whole bunch of teens like trying to man a towing ship. That'd be weird. Well, that was Jason X. <laughs> <laughs> they were college students. They're teenagers. No, they're college students. They're basically teenagers. Okay, they're basically college teenagers. Are ba teen plus. <laughs> yeah, teen plus. Teen plus. <laughs> But yeah, the the character though that I want to talk about is uh, Lambert, who's played by Veronica Cartwright. And I want to talk about Lambert because I don't understand why she's on this ship. What are you talking about? Like, look, I, every she's a professional. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> uh, this is this is no shade against the actress because I think the actress did a really good job um, with the character, but I feel like every other character on this ship has a point, but Lambert's point seems to be summarized in um this argument that she has kind of with Kane as they're on the planet going exploring the ship, which is her talking and he goes, quit griping. She's like, but I like griping. And I'm like, yes, that is your entire character for this entire movie. How 
I, okay. I, this is probably going to come off wrong because you're a woman, but yeah. are you being sexist towards Lambert right now? Maybe. <laughs> I think you are. Well, look, it's, you know, it's one of those situations where, like, everybody else seems to be having some kind of character arc that they're dealing no, with. No, they're not. So Lambert, it isn't you. Yeah. No, no. Yes. See, this is why I think you're being sexist because Harry Dean Stanton's character, Brett, is also, like, basically a nothing character, but you're not griping on Brett. Well, you're griping on the woman who complained about something. Here's the thing. <laughs> I think that Brett has a purpose because both him and and Parker are both bringing up the, the conversation about the corporation, how it treats different people differently um, or different positions differently. And on top of that, he does... He does do things in in the movie, like letting Jonesy get away. Um, he does have certain aspects in the movie that influences everything else. Lambert, she kind of just like cries, picks a fight with no, no, Ripley, no, no, no. See, like, Lam- and no, then no. gets upset later. Like she, I think that's my issue is that she falls into that quintessential female role that we see a lot in horror films, where she's just the crier. And I want more for Lambert because she is smart. She's on a really small crew. She does smart I, sign stuff. I understand what you're saying. Make I just, Brett I just, be the crier. I just think that you're wrong. So like, <laughs> that's fair. That's for, so, that's why I wanted to bring her up. I wanted you to like give me a reason to like this character. Okay, so so first of all, I don't remember if I mentioned we're in spoiler territory <laughs> now. So so we've spoiled that Lambert cries in the movie for you. I hope that didn't and picks a fight with Ripley and picks a fight with Ripley. So. No, so Lambert actually is a really good character. It's just that, look, she does fall into the trope of the crying woman. And I and I completely understand, like, how from your viewpoint, and look, from mine too, I, I don't like that even still that we get to that character mm. all the time, right? <laughs> um, but, but back then, especially, like, in 1979, that, that was still, I don't want to say acceptable, but, like, it still... It was still it, common. It it, well, it wasn't a trope, I think, to the point yet where it was eye rolling Mm -hmm. you know like at the time that was still okay it wasn't like a major trope in horror Uh, I mean you definitely had the damsel in distress which you know I think people were absolutely sick of by that time (laughs) Um, but why I look at a character like Lambert and it's acceptable to me is like look you you are traditionally going to have one character that is expressing fear because you need that you need that for the audience to latch on to because if everybody is just you know acting like yippee ki and you know they're all they're always having a good time and a picnic with the alien on board you're not gonna be as in tune to the fear of it right yeah. so so i i do think that you need that character in mm-hmm. horror movies that that is expressing the fear it is unfortunate and and on and a bit sexist that it always happens to be a woman it's always the lady you know like i i'm a i'm with you i would like to see more men in that role mm-hmm. and you did eventually start to see that a little bit but it is still more traditionally women mm-hmm. but but i but i do think that there's more to lambert than is let on it's just that yeah i i, I don't see any reason for her to be a likable character but there is more to her, you know, like, like I really like the moment. It, it's a small moment, but I really like when Dallas is putting together the team of who's going to go venture out to, you know, to see what's going on with this ship and the signal that they've discovered. Mm-hmm. And it, you are focused on Lambert as he's having that discussion. And you can tell just by the way she's sitting there and smoking that she does not want to be <laughs> no nope. she does not want to be included in that group and when he says she has to go she's like all right you know like she kind of pulls herself together and is like fuck okay you know yeah and i like that because i think to me lambert kind of represents that 
character that is there to do the job but mm-hmm. hates the job. <laughs> That's fair. That's a fair reasoning. You know, and, and I feel like this movie is touching a lot on like different varieties of kind of corporate people, right? Mm-hmm. And the people that work in these sort of corporate environments. And to me, she is the me character of like, <laughs> you know, when I've worked for any sort of corporation, I've always been the person who like, I will do my job, but I'm going to throw a fit about it if I think it's stupid. <laughs> <You know? So. laughs> okay, those are all fair points. I, I will have to say, Matt quite often accused me of getting too emotionally invested into the characters, and Lambert is definitely an example no, of I that. No, I accuse you of not being forgiving for characters. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, tomato, tomato. And Lambert is definitely one of those characters because she's one of the reasons why the alien is on the ship in the first place, and then she's crying about it later. I'm like... Fuck you, bitch. You fought with Ripley to get back on the ship, and now you're upset because the see, thing she told you not to do is now fucking see, you in the I, ass. I don't, I don't hold Lambert as accountable. Lambert's a victim. Like, she is. La- Lambert is a victim. I got more to say about Dallas as we get to that, but Lambert oh, is a victim in this situation. He is a terrible <laughs> captain. He should uh, not be captain. So so really quick, I haven't answered James' question yet, and, and I you, pre- you answered it pretty well, and I'm just going to say the same thing. Yeah, James, as an adult, especially like the older I get, the more I actually prefer watching an older cast, you yeah. know? And, and it, it's weird how that happens, you know? It's like the older you get... Well, I shouldn't even say the older you get. It's just we as people, I think, like to see ourselves on screen. Yeah. Just, just period, you know? Mm-hmm. We like to see ourselves on screen. And I think that, you know, getting older... I'm I'm liking watching older characters more. I, mm-hmm. I'm more. I'm more drawn to those movies because their stories relate to me now. You know, the the story of like the dude trying to get laid in Friday the thirteenth isn't <laughs> isn't really my problem anymore, you know? So like I don't I don't really relate to that, but but I do relate to the feeling of, you know, I'm I'm gonna die someday. Like I really, <laughs> you know, I I relate to that sort of like older existential crisis, right? So, so no, I I do prefer or I do like that this movie focuses on older characters, and I do think it's a shame that despite having examples like The Exorcist or Alien or a lot of these movies that were popular in the 70s, we did mostly get a lot of teen horror in the yeah. 80s. And, like, that's fine. Horror's always going to make movies geared towards teens for that reason. You know, it's going to it's gonna get them a wider audience. Mm-hmm. Teens are the ones who are going to movies more often, right? I don't know about now, but back then they were. So I get it, but no, yeah, as I get older, I, I do prefer an older cast. So, But anyway, so as far as who I want to talk about, of course, I just want to touch on Ripley for a moment because I don't know how much we're going to talk about her through the episode, and she deserves her minute. So, yes. <laughs> so, so look, I just want to say, like, first of all, for those who don't know, as far as I can recall, Ripley was not originally intended to be a woman. It was just... You know, just just a character just written as as the the whatever the side captain. I don't remember what the <laughs> I don't remember what the role underneath Dallas is, but it was not originally supposed to be a woman. And to me, it has a, a similar vibe to the casting of Night of the Living Dead and how I'm I'm sorry I'm struggling to remember the actor's name right now, but the guy who was cast as the lead in Night of the Living Dead. You know, he was a black man, and George Romero, up until his death, always claimed that, like, he did not mean to have any sort of message or theme about blackness in America, but because he cast that actor in that role, and you have that scene 
at the end with, you know, the, the bodies burning and the hooks being put into him and, and you have his struggle with the fucking obnoxious white people through the whole movie. <laughs> you know, it, it ended up standing out as a film that, you know, we read into it as a commentary on race. And, yeah. and, and I look at Alien as being sort of a commentary on women, you know, in the sense that because Ripley is in this role, now everything sort of seems to have more kind of value and subtext to it you know so like through the entire film uh ripley is dealing with you know being looked down on by everybody no one respects her uh you have the underlings on the crew constantly talking shit like to her face you know uh they don't listen to her you have the whole quarantine scene which we're gonna get into in a minute where just everyone (laughs) ignores her you know And, and all of that stuff plays so much stronger with her being a woman because back then and certainly now we can look at that and we're still dealing with issues of, you know, women not being respected in the workplace. So, like, yep. you look at that and you're like, God damn it, they were talking about it in fucking 1979 and we still haven't solved the problem, right? So, <laughs> uh, so I love that Sigourney Weaver was cast in this, in that role, you know? And at the time, it was really cool, too, because, you know, these are the things that I nerd out about that that I always want to talk about because I, I, as like the old man screaming on my lawn, <laughs> I always get worried that like the newer generations maybe might not appreciate it as much, you know, mm-hmm. um, or might not know as much about it. But like the the thing that too that was cool with Alien with her casting is that at the time, science fiction horror especially was extremely male driven. Yep. Extremely male driven, you know, like, like, like other types of horror films had begun to become more prominent with women in the starring roles. You know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. and, and Psycho kind of paved the role or kind of paved the way for, you know, women starring in those movies. But for the large part, sci-fi horror was completely dominated by men. <laughs> women were almost always reduced to the damsel in distress role or like the kooky scientist sidekick, right? Like they, they really did not have the starring role almost ever. Mm-hmm. And so I, if I remember correctly, when Scott was making this, you know, one of the cool things that they ended up wanting to kind of do with it is they wanted to cast a, a popular actor for Dallas and Tom Skerritt because they wanted the audience to think that he was going to be the main character, that he was going to be the survivor to take on mm-hmm. the alien in the end. And as we all know now, that doesn't happen. And, you know, Dallas dies halfway through. Yeah. And that was a big shock to audiences at the time because they're like, holy fuck. He did <laughs> the know, psycho I, thing. It was the psycho thing. There was like, holy fuck, I thought Tom Skerritt was going to live through this movie, you know? <laughs> and and here you have this, this unknown at the time, Sigourney Weaver. She comes in and just dominates the role. And it just, to me, I, 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 I'm sorry, I'm nerding out about it. <laughs> to me, it just like, it completely revolutionized the genre. You know, because you had this character that ended up, you know, after Aliens, ended up becoming just this iconic, strong woman in film. You know, not just horror and sci-fi, but film in general. Mm -hmm. And to me, I feel like that helped pave the way for, you know, for better roles for women in these movies moving forward. Oh, definitely. Because, Because up to that point, they'd largely been reduced to, like, the screaming damsel, you know? Yeah. And, and Alien was just, like, even Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know? Like, she's still a, a screaming victim, really, in the movie. Mm-hmm. And and Alien is just one of those first times. And, and same with Halloween, you know? Laurie Schrode, Jamie Lee Curtis is mostly reduced to, like, the screaming person who's 
just trying to survive, right? Yep. And, and Alien with Ripley is just the first time that we really saw, like, this take-charge woman just completely dominating yeah. the film, you know? Like, look, for me, this is the importance of open casting. Like, you don't know who's going to be the right fit for your role, and you don't know what they're going to bring to the role that elevates it. Like, like if they had gone with a dude for Ripley, I'm sure this movie would still be fine and amazing and great, but I really don't think we would be talking about it the way that we are talking about with Sigourney Weaver at the at the head of it and, and what that, that meant to horror film. Since we're talking about all the horror with this, I feel like the most horrific aspect of watching Alien, especially right now, is watching it with the idea of the pandemic happening right now because quarantine is a big part about this film. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious, like, what you feel like watching it going through everything we went through this last year. Oh, it gives me anxiety now. Right? You know, so like the... <laughs> I mean, th this is the crazy thing about Alien and revisiting it now is like, you know, I, I should have mentioned earlier in the episode, like, I don't know how much, you know, Alien's been around for over 40 years. And I don't mm -hmm. know how much we're going to say that's really going to blow your mind about Alien because this movie's been talked to death, right? Mm -hmm. But the one thing that I think has added a, a newer conversation to Alien is the fact that we are now living through a pandemic. And thank God are hopefully coming to, you know, the at least to see the light at the end of the tunnel, hopefully, right? Yeah. Um, despite all you fucking anti-maskers <laughs> out there. Um, but and anti-vaxxers. Go get the vaccine, please, for the love of God. Chris and I both got it a couple days ago. We're fine. Yep. You know, it's really interesting to watch Alien from a from now having lived through quarantine and a pandemic standpoint. Because, you know, I remember back to when COVID was kind of first making its way through the US and you know, I, I was one of many people who were sharing uh, gifts and memes of Ripley <laughs> and, and because because we all thought of that quarantine scene and we all thought of that scene where Ripley is telling them you cannot bring this alien creature on board because it could have a disease that spreads and it could affect us all. Right. Uh -huh. and, and no one listens to her and they bring it on board. And what do you know? They all fucking die. <laughs> and, to, to you know, it's just. <laughs> I get such anxiety now watching this movie because when that scene comes around, you know, it used to be I watched that scene and I'm still on Ripley's side of like, yeah, you know, that's some bullshit that they don't listen to you, Ripley, those motherfuckers. Uh -huh. Like, you know, it, we've always felt that way. But now I think a lot of us watch that scene and you just want to like scream. You just want to scream because you're like, motherfuckers, you don't know what you're doing, you know, like... Like, listen to her, quarantine, for God's sakes, listen to science, you know? And we we all feel that pain now, I think. We, yeah. we all really understand that because, you know, we, we now have a year experience under our belt of people just not listening to basic <laughs> science. Like, it, it's not even complicated, you know? Like, no shit. Wearing a mask helps lessen the spread of a virus that you breathe out through your lungs. Like, no yeah. shit that it helps. No shit that it helps to quarantine and not have contact with each other when we're trying to contain a virus that spreads through contact with each other, you know? So it's like it's like we have all these things, all these experiences under our belt now. And you just watch this and like it's it's just such a different vibe to watching this movie, you know? Cause because we all relate to it. Like Ash opening the door to let this alien creature on board is, you know, it's the equivalent of all of our states 
just saying, fuck it, we're going <laughs> to stay open and make you all go to work because the economy, you yep. know? It's the equivalent of that. And what did that lead to? 500,000 dead people, you know, in mm-hmm. America. And I'm very sorry if any of those people were someone that you know. That is extremely tragic and it never should have happened. But, you know, so so that really stands out to me. And then, you know, to, to maybe go in a little more fun direction with this, something that I think we don't talk about enough with Alien that stands out now is, you know, if if you're like me and, and, and you're a big fan of Alien and you've always kind of done the research on it or listen to commentaries or read articles about it. A thing that gets talked to death about with alien is the creatures uh, representation of sex and, you know, our fear of that. And I mean, you see that all over the film, even in like really simple ways, like when they ask Kane, uh, and I'm sorry that I'm bringing so much of this episode. I just, I love this movie so much. Um, but, you know, but even Kane, like, when they ask him what he remembers, he just says, like, smothering and kind of trails off. And, like, you know, the film's just heavily commentating on the fear of sex and sort of, like, the the kind of the uncomfortable uh, sort of elements of it, right? Mm-hmm. And, but the thing that I don't, that I, the thing that I think it's lost that we never really talk about is the fact that, the alien, I think, represents more than our fear of sex. I actually think it represents our, our fear of disease and our fear of, you know, like, I, th- I think you can a- attribute the alien as somewhat of an STD in a sense that, you know, it, it is a perfect germ mm-hmm. when you really get down to it. Like, the alien, we look at it as more of a biological creature because it's this big, giant six foot tall human <laughs> man, human shaped monster right yeah but when you really think about it the alien is essentially a parasite it's a virus yeah you know that's all it is it's it's basically one big giant fucking scary as hell germ <laughs> and it is the perfect germ and you know so so new things stand out to me when i watch alien now like you have the scene where uh where ash is talking about how the thing or how the facehugger sheds its cells and replicates them or I, I i'm not a scientist i i don't know science you know I, i'm i'm the equivalent of will ferrell saying it's science and anchorman like i don't fucking know shit but but he describes it very well in how the alien is constantly adapting to its atmosphere mm-hmm. and when i hear that now i think of covid variants and, yep. and the mutations and how and how you know viruses uh, like covid are extremely adaptable and their whole purpose is to keep adapting and surviving elements and finding new ways to get to you, right? Yeah. And that's really what the alien is. You know, you don't you don't dare kill it because of its acid blood. Mm-hmm. It's it's a perfect organism and that you just, you know, it, it survives any environment and it just so so over and over again, I just keep finding myself thinking this is a perfect the alien is a disease. It is a perfect disease yeah that you cannot end if you don't follow quarantine (laughs) yeah and for me the way that i kind of take the quarantine everything like that is highlighting how humans really don't want to take something seriously unless it personally affects them because everybody on that ship for the most part is very chill about this fucking face hugger Everybody is more concerned with helping Kane than being worried about how it's going to affect them. The only two people who are worried about how it's going to affect them is is Ripley and Parker. They're the only two who are taking this very seriously mm. because they're aware of how that can affect 
everybody. But everybody else is just like, well, it's just affecting yeah, Kane. The, the woman and the black man. Surprise, surprise that they understand more about what's going on right? than the fucking <laughs> oblivious white people, you know? <laughs> uh, so for me, I really look at it as this this tendency with humans to just like, unless it's personally affecting them, they don't give a shit. And I think we've seen that with, with Corona and we've seen it with STDs in the past. So yeah, I think that's 100% accurate. And, and one last thing that I want to add before we move on from this is like, I also cannot watch Alien now without thinking to myself of uh, <laughs> one day. And, and look, this doesn't just apply to Alien. This applies to a lot of movies now that are like <laughs> Alien where it's impossible for me now to watch this and see them all concerned about bringing this unknown organism on board because of infection possibilities. And then they have Kane in that surgical room and they all just walk in, no coverings, no masks, no nothing, right? And I watch that now and all I can think about is like the potential germs (laughs) that can be jumping from this fucking face hugger to Kane, like, you know, for, forget the alien embryo that's being placed inside his fucking belly. You know, I'm worried about, like, oh, my God, is he going to get the, the alien version of COVID? You know, like, he's, you know, because if there are rumors that, you know, COVID was created in a lab in China. Who knows? I'm not here to spread that kind of bullshit. But mm-hmm. but one of the rumors that we were following when it first came around was this idea that it, you know, jumped from, like, bats or something like that. And, and that is where a lot of these disease comes from is, yeah. you know, animals that we don't typically have contact with. So, so when I see, you know, when I see Kane having a little, you know, <laughs> intimate makeout session with the face hugger, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, my God, like, forget the alien. What, what disease are they passing around now? <laughs> He's going to get the alien space flu. Exactly. You know, yep. so, like, so it just, yeah, the, the pandemic has affected everything. I can't tell you how many movies I watch now that just have a whole different, hit to them because of the pandemic yeah it changes everything (laughs) it really does uh so kind of talking about this you know idea of scd and like kane making out with um with the face hugger it is interesting that ash in the movie refers to the alien as kane's son um which i think is an unusual choice of of words so how do you think the film is like reflecting on parenthood and sex and all that kind of stuff I mean, I think I think the parenthood conversation is really interesting with Alien. You know, like we, I don't I don't want to talk too much about sex with it because we know that. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, Alien's just that film where like I I strongly doubt that any one of you listening has not heard any of the conversation on Alien about how it reflects sex and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So so the very simple answer I'll give to that part of it is that yeah, I mean, the film absolutely reflects a fear of sex. I think it. I think it inherently reflects a male fear of sex, you know, because because when you look throughout the film, you know, first of all, let, let's not forget that this film is directed by a man, uh, conceived by men, written by men, and and H.R. Geiger or and H.R. Geiger is a man who you know had all the designs for everything, and I mean, when you look at this movie, it inherently feels like a, a male fear of sex and pregnancy and parenthood because. You know, you have an alien that is being birthed from a man. Mm-hmm. So it's almost kind of like men putting themselves in the position of a woman and imagining the horror of that, right? <laughs> uh, and then when you look at the ship that is, that is containing the alien on planet LV-426, you know, the entrances to the ship are vaginal. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they, they are 100% <laughs> 
VJs, yeah. right? So <laughs> the JJs, like they, they are that 100%. Um, the face hugger itself, the mouth is very vaginal. Yep. Like the, the alien is very phallic, you know, it's just every, everything in there is a fear of sex. Mm. Absolutely. Um, but I'm kind of more interested right now in the parenthood concept of it, which, which I also view this film being a fear of because, you know, to me, <laughs> this is less interesting than sex angle, let's be honest. But to me, <laughs> but to me, the, the alien is kind of representative of the, the worst of parenthood, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, like, like any, anyone who's ever had the fear of being a parent uh, of raising a child, of having something that you have responsibility for. Yeah. The alien is the is the metaphor and the representation for all of those fears and why you fear that, you know? So, like, when you look at this alien, I mean, to me, the alien itself is basically like a, a giant, uh, horny teenager that, <laughs> <laughs> that you just cannot control, you know? Yep. Like, it just... It comes into their lives and it destroys everything. <laughs> you know, it just completely annihilates everything within a matter of hours. And if that's not a reflection of a fear of parenthood, I don't know what is, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. No, the Alien movie definitely gives me a fear of parenthood because, like, A, I 100% view the chest burster as like giving birth I, yeah, am, that's, I, am, I mean that's what it is yeah i am that terrified of actual birth that that's how i feel like it's gonna be but uh i think it's funny because in the shop today we had a couple of like toddlers and they were like the alien just running around the store disappearing showing up climbing all over shit and like when I was thinking about this movie, it's just like, yeah, the alien absolutely is like just the the nightmare that is children sometimes. The the fact that you can't control them, you don't know always know where they are, and then they show up, scare the hell out of you, kick you, do whatever. Um, I know for me personally, I didn't want my fear was having getting to that point where they're teenagers. Um and I view it as that moment, you know, when the little tiny like mouth comes out and just like punches the people in the heart. Mm-hmm. My fear with teenagers is like you put all this time and love and effort into a kid and there's going to be a moment where it turns around and goes, I hate you, mom. And I'm like, I don't want to take that heartbreak. Yeah, pretty much. And, and I forgot to add too. you know, it's not just a horny, rambunctious teenager. It's a <laughs> horny, rambunctious teenager going through puberty, yep. you know, which is which leads into the sex obsession of it. Right. Because. I mean, the alien, you know, the thing that we all recognize as being sexual in the film is like, you know, is Lambert's death, which is her other importance to the thematics, as Mm -hmm. awful as it is, is that you do have the alien in the end or or towards the end uh, killing Parker. And then we get a shot of the alien's tail coming up between Lambert's legs. And it's pretty hard to miss the symbolism of that, right? Yeah. (laughs) So, so the alien is very representative of that to me. But then I also think that, you know, it goes further than the alien. I think that there's a, I think there's a commentary on the, you know, sort of the mistrust of authority mm-hmm. uh, that comes with parenthood and, and the sort of, you know, the sort of uh, uh, conflict that parents and children face because at a certain point as a child, like, you do begin to rebel against your parents because you do begin to question their authority on just about everything, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly hit a point with my parents when I was a teenager uh, after the divorce where I just, 
I just decided, you know what? I don't fucking care what they say anymore. Like, I'm going to question literally everything they ask of me because uh, I was in that rebellious stage of, like, I just don't care what you say anymore, you know? And, and you see that reflected through uh, through the ship whose name is Mother. Yes. You know, I mean, can we, like, how, how much more on the nose can you get? The ship's name is Mother, for fuck's sake. <laughs> you know? And, and what is going on with Mother is Mother is this deceptive, you know? Yeah. Mo- like... The, the characters cannot trust Mother. I mean, in the end, Ripley is doing what Mother wants, and Mother is still like, fuck you, I'm going <laughs> to blow up the ship, bitch. <laughs> like, I mean, Mother's the one that sends them to their death in the first place. Yeah, no, exactly. Mother's <laughs> the one who reroutes them and says, hey, you have to go do this important thing, okay? All right, bye. You know, go do this for your chore money. Like, <laughs> I feel like we can all relate to that thing where like your parents send you off to do a task, and it ends up being a trick question. Like, you end up getting in trouble because you just did something wrong with it that they just didn't tell you in the first place. Well, I mean, I, I hope that your parent isn't purposely setting you up to get in trouble, but I, I more mean, I more mean, <laughs> I more mean it in the sense of like, you know, uh, y- your mom says we're going to the, to, to Disneyland and you end up at the dentist, right? Like it's, <laughs> you know, it's stuff like that. Like it's, there's an inherent mistrust of authority in this movie mm-hmm. and it's, and it talks about the deceptiveness of authority. Like when you, when you look at the film and, and where mother is spoken to in contact, you know, it's this very warm, like, like, you know, it's in this room where there's an orangish kind of glow. It's very warm it's and comfortable. Womb. It is a womb. It, it sort of, you know, breathes kind of like a womb. Like, it feels like you're in a womb, you know? Mm-hmm. And and so Mother is supposed to be this protective sort of figure for these characters. And when you find out at the end that Mother's kind of been in on this sort of, you know, situation where it's just fucking everybody over, like, it, it hurts them, you know? Cause, yeah. Because, like, you... If you think you can trust anything, it should be the fucking computer that's supposed to do what you need it to, right? Right, so. and when it says uh, crew expendable, it's just like, I've been betrayed by mother in the womb? It hits. It hurts. And then not to mention, too, my, my one last comment, and I'm sorry that we're running long this episode. <laughs> I just love Alien so much. Um, <laughs> You know, one last thing. So when we were watching this movie, Chris kept asking me, or, or you maybe you didn't keep asking me, but you asked me at one point, like, why why do you care about Kane or or like what's the significance of his name or something like that? I don't remember what exactly what you said, but sounds like a question I would ask. But like, you know, Kane kind of works into this too because uh Kane is for all intents and purposes, you know, basically inspired by uh the Bible story of Cain and Abel, you know, and in that you have both of those characters kind of like sacrificing for God, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Uh and, and I'm sorry if I'm wrong about any of this. I am not a Bible person. <laughs> this is just through well, my own he, research. He sacrificed uh, his brother. Right. Well, well, but th- th- they're, you know, what happens in that story, as far as I can recall, is like they're they're supposed to be making these sacrifices for God, mm-hmm. and a- and Cain is not being acknowledged for his sacrifice, and he ends up killing his brother out of rage, right? Yep. So when I look at Cain in this movie, you know, to me, Cain is kind of like this... <laughs> You know, it's almost like this child that's not being acknowledged <laughs> and, and kind of commenting on like sort of the, the looked down upon child, you know, that that ends up like destroying themselves for attention. <laughs> you know, so Kate uh, just wanted the captain's attention so bad that he made out with a face hugger. Yeah. And it ties into like, you know, creationism and all that kind of stuff, which we just don't have time to get into. So. <laughs> uh, but one last thing I want to make sure we touch on here is, you know, the 
there's obviously the heavy corporation element of the movie with Waylon Yutani. And so I'm just curious, like, how do you think that plays today now, 40 years later, this idea of, like, corporate corruption? <laughs> I I feel like... Honestly, it hurts to watch a movie that's, like, 40 years old at this point that's still dealing with the same shit we're dealing with now. Of corporations just looking at their crew, their people, their workers as, like, expendable. Like, they don't matter. And I think that it's really well done in this film because um, the fact that the corporation is, for the most part, faceless. There is nobody from the corporation physically there to talk with the people that they're sacrificing to their greed. The only person who's there who even kind of represents the corporation is Ash. And he's not really a person because he's a fucking android and he's filled with milk. So he doesn't count. Well, he's filled with, I think, uh, a representation of semen is always been my interpretation. (laughs) I think that you're right, but I don't want to say semen, so I'm going to say milk. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) He must really smell. Like, if, if that was milk you know just imagine how rotten that milk is by that okay if it is milk he's gonna smell and if it is semen he's gonna smell you want me a smelly boy (laughs) semen doesn't rot at least you know so there's that it's not like it smells good it doesn't but it's not rotting fair enough uh but yeah it's you know especially watching everything happen it really kind of like hurts to like watch how much this crew is hurt by the corporation and how it is this constant thing of the corporation not caring about, you know, what the people who actually fucking make them money are doing or their safety. Like they're sending a crew who's literally, they're a towing crew. They're already Mm -hmm. a skeleton towing crew that's on a shitty ship that's falling apart where they're not even getting paid properly. Like your maintenance people are getting shafted, even though they're the ones who keep everything running. And, oh, we're just going to send them to go get this, like, specimen that we know is going to murder all of them? Like, Yeah, I mean, how, you, how much corp. does that sound like your typical corporate job, right? Right? So, I mean, you know, even just working in, like, look, even just working in film, mm-hmm. you'd be surprised. Like, honestly, you know, I, I sometimes wonder uh, what, what people who don't work in the film industry view working in the film industry as. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, I, I, could, I could say for myself, like, as someone growing up interested in film, I was always kind of like, oh, it's going to be so glamorous to, <laughs> you know, to work on set and do these jobs. And like, I know it'll be hard work, but it'll be, it'll be fun. And I'll be doing something cool. Right. And you suddenly get to the job and it's like, you know, for instance, I, I know, a, I know a production assistant once who was sent two hours away to a beach to collect seaweed, you know? <laughs> um, or or like when I was a production assistant, I remember working in a really bad neighborhood here in Los Angeles, like to the point where my production managers would joke about how I needed a bulletproof vest every time I went out to go on a run. And, you know, they're, they're like sending me to ridiculous places to, to do things that, yep. you know, maybe sometimes I shouldn't be doing. So... <laughs> Like, look, I've worked 18-hour days. I've worked 24-hour days. I worked 36 hours straight one time. The film industry will chew you up and spit you out and make you think that it's a privilege to do that. It's not just about the film industry. It's just corporations in general. Like, anything that has money behind it, corporations, studios, whatever, you know, there, there is an inherent looking down upon the employees. You know, again, I will not mention certain shows but I will tell you that I have worked on shows where I know for a fact that the producers on it 
are making about a hundred times more than the production assistants. Yep. And they should be making more money. That's not debatable. But a hundred times more. Now it's we're gross. starting now we're starting to kind of question it a bit, right? Yep. So um so no, I think Alien's a brilliant commentary on corporate uh on corporate life, you know, mm-hmm. and the way that corporations do treat employees because they do for the most part treat employees like numbers and like expendable numbers right you know like we we do not matter it's the people at the top that always end up mattering and and that's kind of unfortunate you know because it's 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 the people that are lower on the totem pole that build the corporation to what it is yeah you know so like like when i was running killer horror critic for example which many of you have probably seen by now that khc is now closed and it's reverted back to my own blog which you know i'm sad and everything but 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 I always know and I always reflect on or and I always acknowledge that like, you know, it, it was a, it was our writers that helped, you know, that helped Kate keep KHC going. Yeah. It wasn't just me, you know, it's all of our writers. And so mm-hmm. like, you know, and you just don't get that sort of attitude from leaders of corporations. They don't. they don't care about fucking Jan in Iowa working <laughs> at the McDonald's, you know, they just don't give a shit. But but one thing I have noticed that that never used to stand out to me as much with Alien is you know, you you start looking at the film and you see sort of like, first of all, different separation of classes of people. Yep. You know, like you have sort of the lower class, which is Parker and Brett, and they're you know kind of like in the in the dirty, grimy basement of the ship, and mm-hmm. then you have more of the middle class, which you know is like Lambert or or Kane, maybe you know, and then you have the upper class of Dallas and Ash and Ripley and. You know, you just see how, like, they're all kind of separated in those tiers. And then you also see how the film is kind of, you know, representing, like, sort of those those uh, those old-fashioned, like, sort of corporate towns, you know, where everything was about the corporation. Yeah. So, like, if you watch closely in Alien, you can actually notice that the Whalen yutani symbol is on everything, like, right down to the bowls that they're eating out of. Ew. You know, like, everything is corporate manufactured. And it starts to... And it really hits home to now because, you know, if you look at America now, I mean, America is basically run by five different corporations. Yeah. You know, we would like to think that it's run by a lot of different corporations or, nope. or you know, the people preferably. But but really, America's run by like five major corporations that just own everything. And Whalen yutani is kind of one of those corporations. They own everything. You know, they have a military department. They apparently make fucking home goods with yep. these bowls that they have their logo on, right? So, <laughs> yeah, for me with the, like, classism that comes, what's really kind of depressing, like, especially right now, is we're seeing a divide with the crew members that's still prevalent today. I am, like, looking at Parker and Brent. Like, they're the ones who keep everything going. They're responsible for everybody actually being able to get home. They are the most important people on that ship. Because without them, everything else is going to go to shit, right? And the fact that, you know, even within that really small crew environment, you don't have, like, ostensibly your higher-ups recognizing that they deserve to get paid more for their services, or at least an equal share. Because that's a big part of what we open on, is is Parker and Brett, like, trying to negotiate for getting paid equally to the other crew members. And, like, I feel like that's something that we're still seeing today, is, like, this disregard for the people who keep everything going. Um, I think it's interesting that we're, you know, these are themes that are still universal. I'm hopeful that, like, you know, maybe in, like, 
another 40 years, everyone will look back on Alien and be like, ah, that's not a thing anymore. Yeah, keep hoping. I, I know, way, right? The way America's going, <laughs> if anything, it's going to be even worse in it's 40 years. It's going to be so. worse. <laughs> I, I do not see it getting any better at this point, not to be a downer. But <laughs> um, but one last thing I'll just say on it is, you know, because we got to wrap up here. I know we're already going over. But one last thing I'll say is that, you know, it, it, this whole sort of corporate entity idea also speaks to sort of really the the tragedy of the movie, which is that, you know, the characters like uh, Ripley and Brett and Parker and, and many of them really are all like, fuck no, we're not going to that planet for mm-hmm. this for this mysterious signal that we should not be investigating because we're a fucking towing crew, you know? Yeah. Most of them acknowledge that, and yet they all go against that gut feeling for money. Yeah. And, and I, I think that if... If anything, the way that Alien is most relevant today as it was then or than it was then is how in 40 years, I personally feel like America's become more and more of a country driven by aspirations for wealth <laughs> yeah. than, than it was back then in the sense that, you know, we will we will put up with anything, it seems like, for money. <laughs> Yeah, and and that's and it's just like it's it's the tragedy of life itself, and it's the tragedy of Alien, is that watching it as an audience, we all know that all of those people would survive the movie had they just not given a crap about money, you know? Yeah. But but to be fair to them, the corporation puts them in the position, and it's what corporations do in real life too is it puts them in that position by being like, okay, but if you don't investigate this, you get no money. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't matter that you did all this work. You get no money because you didn't investigate this signal that you're not qualified to investigate. (laughs) Yeah, and we don't know, like, how close to, like, are they living paycheck to paycheck? Like, that's the big thing. It's like, if they're living paycheck to paycheck, not only have they lost out on potentially, like, years of their life, two years, months, whatever... But to then do all of that and not come home with anything to be able to pay their rent or what have you, like, that is the, like, gross thing about corporations right now is, like, yep. they know we need that money to fucking live because living's so fucking expensive. Yep. Haha, I bet you all didn't know that we were going to get depressing on this episode, <laughs> did you? <laughs> but, yeah, no, so it's just, yeah, it, it's... Alien's just one of those movies where, like, I love this movie, but it is it is frustrating to watch and to think about how many things just have not changed one bit no. <laughs> in, in over 40 years. Um, but all right, so we got to start wrapping up. So who is your killer idiot of Alien? Uh, Dallas, for being the worst captain in existence. Like, look, every, I, I feel like every decision that gets made that's poorly is because of Dallas. So this is why I disagree that Dallas is not actually necessarily an idiot, He's more of a corporate stooge. So corporate stooge, idiot. That sounds like the no, same no, no, thing no, no, to me. No, 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 because no. because <laughs> the thing that we didn't talk about in the episode and that I can't focus on too much because we got to wrap up. But Dallas, I'm pretty sure knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. I, I think Dallas has a lot more insight into what's happening uh, than is let on in the film because you have the scene where Dallas. Uh, is sitting down and he asks mothers like basically just ask her what's the deal right yeah and then we cut to something else and we never we never learn what he knows yeah and I'm pretty sure that Dallas at the very least understands quite a bit of what the mission is 
which is why I think he's so insistent on getting the alien on board. I just, and, and yes, does that make him an idiot to some degree? Yeah. Of, course, of course it does. <laughs> but, but I think that, you know, I think that idiocy becomes uh, sort of, uh, sort of uh, uh, clouded when you start throwing in other concepts of like him doing this for wealth and for that kind of stuff. Like, you know, he's, he's clouded by these sort of uh, moral uh, dilemmas. Right. Uh And so to me, the bigger idiot is just Kane because (laughs) who the hell is stupid enough to stick their face into a goddamn mysterious egg that just opened up in front of them. (laughs) I mean, Kane, Kane doesn't even give it a second of like, what's coming out of this egg. He's like, I want to see what's in that egg. And he just leans down (laughs) Puts his face in the egg, and it's like, you've already established that there is something in that egg, uh-huh. you dumb motherfucker. <laughs> so yeah. to me, it's, to me, it's Kane. It's not even debatable. It's Kane. <laughs> yeah, Kane does not make a smart decision there. He's clearly the dumbest person in the movie. Like, uh, what about your killer death? I mean, obviously Kane. Is there obviously really? Obviously Kane. Yeah. yeah Chef not- Burster. Nothing beats Kane. Uh, like I said, first time I remember covering my eyes during a film, uh, just it scarred me for life, and <laughs> <laughs> and it is the most memorable moment of the movie, probably. Yeah. Um, what about your killer MVP of Alien? Uh, that goes to H.R. Geiger, because the for me, it's all about the look of this film. Like, the look of the alien, the look of the ship, that whole design really puts you into the mind frame that you need to be for this film. And so, like, without without his design, I don't think Alien would be half as good as it is. Did you cheat off my notes for this one? <laughs> no, I thought of it on my own. Because I, I have the same answer. Um, Yes, no, the, the movie would not be the same without H.R. Geiger. Like, mm-hmm. it's... Geiger, you know, the man... The, the man was an artist with a capital A, right? Like yeah. the, the man, the man was a visionary. Like he, Giger, whether you like his art or not, there's never been anybody that's doing anything like what he did. You know, Giger, Giger had a really rare talent uh, for just creating the most, you know, the mo- the most visually interesting yet macabre <laughs> sexual like. You know, he, he combined all these elements of, of sex and aliens and, you know, just like macabre horror together mm-hmm. uh, for a combination that we just don't really see that often, you know? Uh, and honestly, it's, you know, it makes... I, I understand that Giger was potentially a little more difficult to work with, you know? It seems like studio... That, that's kind of the, the rumor that I've heard over the years, you know, is that Giger... Uh, wasn't the easiest person to work with, mm-hmm. but it makes me upset that studios didn't work with him more often uh, because the two credits that stand out to me right away for him assisting in film was designing the alien, which obviously iconic creation yeah. that we've been recreating for 40 plus <laughs> years. You know, uh, I mean, for God's sakes, there's video games, comics, graphic mm. novels, like fucking everything you could want around the alien. Um, but he also created the look for the creature and species, which I also think is a really unique look, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I guess the moral of the story is like, hey, Hollywood, maybe try expanding <laughs> your reach to artists more often that can come up with interesting concepts, you know? Uh, just open yeah, your, open your minds a little bit, you know? <laughs> open your reach a little bit. But anyway, so yeah, no, he's mine as well. I don't think the alien would be the same without all of the visuals and 
uh, and creations that Giger came up with. You know, this movie is... You could have very easily ended up with a film that a lot of the films which sought to duplicate Alien mm-hmm. felt like, you know, these sort of incomplete monsters yeah. or uninteresting monsters, you know. You could have very easily ended up with that. Like, when you think about Alien, it's an extremely simple concept. Yes. It's very simple. Because simple's and best. Simple is best, but but the concept itself is very simple. And it it, it is... Like, people do not understand how easily Alien or how close to becoming just another B-budget or, or just another B-horror movie Alien was. You know, this movie was originally potentially going to be produced by Roger Corman, which, no offense to Roger Corman, but, <laughs> you know, Roger Corman wasn't giving huge budgets to movies, you know? He, he was the B, he was the B movie, uh, the B movie master, right? Yeah. And, and it was only after Star Wars kind of you know, uh, revolutionized things for for film that studios kind of started giving the green light to space movies, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, Star Wars proved that there was uh, there was a valuable asset in space movies. And so they got bigger budgets. So Alien, I mean, Alien was like this close <laughs> uh, to being just another B-budget, B-horror film. Yeah. And thanks to the budget, thanks to H.R. Giger, it was something completely different than that, right? So anyway, uh, that's mine as well. So I've rambled enough. (laughs) Chris has rambled enough. (laughs) Alien's a masterpiece. Yep, agreed. (laughs) So we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, Next week is going to be on Planet of the Vampires from Mario Bava, which Chris has never seen and which I admittedly have have only seen a handful of times. So it's not one that's burned into my brain so i'm excited to revisit it with you all i'm so excited uh, to get space vampires who isn't excited to encounter space vampires <laughs> um so we're gonna be talking about that next week uh as many of you have probably realized by this point i i you know we we are closing our patreon we no longer have that uh or we will no longer have that by the time you're listening to this most likely you know because that that was always just a way to sort of help pay for our writers and since we're no longer doing Killer Horror Critic as a full-fledged website, uh, we know you know we we want we want the content that we do to be just available to everyone mm-hmm. uh, without having to pay for it. So, um, so we will no longer be doing the bonus content. So I hope that's not too much of a disappointment for you all. You know uh, that we will no longer have the bonus episodes and the bonus content, but we are still here. We will yeah. still be doing. Uh, the podcast for as long as Chris and I are willing so, yep. <laughs> and as long as you all are listening. So, so anyway, so that's why you're not hearing a break and us <laughs> talking about the next, you know, bonus content. But anyway, all that being said next week, Planet of the Vampires, it is streaming on, I want to say prime. I do think it's streaming somewhere. So research that, check it out, check it out before next week. Otherwise, Hope you've enjoyed our discussion on Alien, and we will see you next week, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled, just the way I like them. Have a good night, horror fans.